what makes me. This is what I am. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Being a Minority in Corporate America podcast. I'm your host, Dehavia Stewart. And on this episode, our guest is Lyndon Bowen Jr. Lyndon is an HBCU VC fellow, and he has prior experience working with companies such as Eli Lilly and Google, and as a most recent, Johnson & Johnson. He's a student at North Carolina Central University, and in this episode, we will learn more about his entrepreneurial endeavors and corporate experience. So let's hop right in. Okay, so Lyndon, can you tell me about your early years and where you come from? Yeah, so um, covering my early years, um, I, well, I was born in Newburgh, North Carolina, um, which is a town that's out by the coast. Um, but even closer than that, you know, my hometown, I was born there because that was the closest hospital. But the town that I actually grew up in for a really big portion of my, of my life is called Pollocksville. Um, and I like to say it has 300 people in one stoplight. And that's, that's as big as it gets. Um, so my upbringing really is very Southern. It's very, you know, um, very heavy emphasis on African-American culture, heavy emphasis on family. Um, and then, you know, eventually later on, my parents moved around North Carolina and I ended up in Durham and went high school here. And then I actually go to college now at North Carolina Central University in Durham as well. Why did you decide to attend North Carolina Central University and pursue a STEM related field? It actually goes back to high school. Um, so when I was in high school, I went to a high school that's actually on the campus of North Carolina State University um, called Josephine Dobbs or the College High School. Um, and in that program, I was able to finish high school, the traditional four years of high school in two years. Um, and then within a four year program, I was also able to do two years of college before officially becoming a college student. Um, so that was like really my first pathway into North Carolina State University. And when it came time to, you know, do all the, the college applications and fill them all out, um, Central was actually the only school I ended up applying to. Um, and that was because, it wasn't because I couldn't apply to the other ones. I, I had started the applications, but all of the applications were like $100, $200. Um, and my, my, my upbringing, I mentioned I come from a very small town, so it wasn't really something that me and my family could necessarily afford like physically. Um, so I had to make a decision to go to a school that was willing to pay for me and give me a full ride. So I go to Central, I'm on a full ride, everything is paid for. Um, and I really love the family and community here. So it was really big for me to come to a school full of people that I could relate to and in some instances not relate to, um, but just get that whole HBCU experience and, and to grow as an individual. Um, I was super excited. So that's why I chose uh, North Carolina State University. So you were exposed early on to the HBCU culture in college? So I was exposed to it very early on. Um, and then to answer your part about like why I got exposed to tech, um, ever since I was a little kid, I took computers apart. Like I remember being seven and taking apart my dad's computer, his, his office computer. Um, I think it was running like Windows 98 or something like that. <laughs> but it was like, it was a really old computer. Um, but ever since then I was super interested in technology because I was an awkward kid. I'm still awkward to today, even if people are like, Linda, you're not awkward. I'm like, yeah, I'm still awkward. Um, so I wasn't really able to like relate to a lot of kids in the traditional sense. So um, technology really became my outlet for me to express myself in the world. Um, and then my parents were like, oh, you can make some money off of this. Like, then they started supporting it. Like, first it was like, you know, why are you taking apart a computer? Like, stop. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, you can fix my like phone when it's broken. You can like fix my, so I started encouraging it more and more. Um, and then I went to this program in high school called Shodor. Um, and what they did is actually, they taught me to be a full stack web developer as a sophomore in high school. Um, and it was a nonprofit organization, so it was all paid for. So I got paid to learn. Um, 
So that was my first venue. Secondly, in high school, I did this organization called BDPA, Black Data Processing Associates. And I'm still part of the organization today. I actually sit on the national board, um, looking at college recruitment of college students. But, you know, I competed nationally in that competition throughout high school. And actually my senior year, I won $17,000 with my team competing um, nationally against other students in a coding competition. So like those experiences, um, and a lot more, I keep going forever, but <laughs> those experiences really like intrinsic and tech more and more. It, it came like a self-feeding cycle. And ever since I've just been you know, in it. <laughs> wow, those are some amazing experiences to be exposed to while in high school. Um, wait, so did you like ever build PCs? Yeah, so the PC that we're talking about right now I actually built. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Wait, do you do you do like gaming and stuff? Yeah, I do. I play League of Legends like pretty frequently. I'm I'm trying to play it less, um, but I'm a big PC gamer, so I don't really do. I did console gaming like back in middle school, um, and now I'm more of like a PC gamer. So like League of Legends and games such as that on the PC, I play. Oh wow! So the consoles aren't strong enough. <laughs> yeah, no, the consoles like you you pay way too much for way way too little, um, and it's so little things you can actually do. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so in your bio, you mentioned that you are an aspiring entrepreneur. Yep. So how did you how did you initially get exposed to entrepreneurship? Yeah, so let me think. How did I initially get exposed to entrepreneurship? Um, that's an interesting question. So so what I would, one answer is I would say that I feel like entrepreneurship is something that's really ingrained in um, especially African-American uh, American society a lot. Um, it's just like we never have the term for what it is. But... You know, our parents and our and our family and our communities always find these entrepreneurial type ways to do things. Um, so I, I had always intrinsically known what an entrepreneur was. Um, I actually come from a family. Uh, I would consider myself kind of a second generation entrepreneur. Like once I fully get intrinsic to it, I've started a couple companies. Um, but my grandmother, she was an entrepreneur. She ran her own business. Um, my grandma and, and my granddad, they also run ran their own businesses as well. So from very early on. I had the idea that in order to make enough money, in order to really move into society and create a lot of change, you needed to be an owner versus being an employee. Um, and one of my really big experiences with that, like when I first understood the dialogue of what an entrepreneur was, is I, I had a mentor in high school um, who made me read, uh, who was Robert Kiyosaki. I had to read Robert, Robert Kiyosaki's Wish That Poor Dad. Um, and I read that book and my brain was just blown. Um, because, you know, in traditionally, like, I was at K-12 and, like, going into the traditional four-year college, a lot of the teaching and grooming is, you know, to be an employee, to work in corporate. Um, but I've just been, I, I'd say I've been fortunate to have mentors that have been like, hey, Lyndon, you know, they, they saw something in me and they were willing to invest in four me. Um, and they've been like, they poked me on my back and like, hey, no, this is where you need to go. Like, look this way. And every time I've looked that way, it's been the right way. <laughs> so, um, like, my first experience with getting into entrepreneurship was I had a mentor that was like, read this book, think about life this way. Like, I, I, he was like, I see entrepreneurship in you, um, but you need to just cultivate it to understand it more. Um, so I was like 17 when I first read, <laughs> when I first read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Changed My World. The Go-Giver is another book I read and stuff like that. So, yeah. So what are some of the companies that you started already? Yeah, so the first company I started, I was a uh, senior in high school, technically sophomore, senior in high school, technically sophomore in college, if I can consider the year. But I started a consulting company, and what we did is that we took care of small to medium-sized businesses, IT side, 
um, for them. So we had a, like Durham being in the startup ecosystem that this is, there's so many small businesses and medium sized businesses that needed help. So what I did is that I, you know, reached into my network of people that I already knew um, and I built websites, handled their um, IT workflow and things for them um, on the inside and did a lot for them. I also built a workflow system for my university because I worked in their IT department and I realized that the way that the the um, service desk workers were getting around campus was inefficient. Like they were like losing the keys and not keeping up with them and there was no tracking system other than like paper and pen. So I built like a digital tracking system that tracked the carts across campus and like improved their workflow tremendously and cut a lot of uh, funds for the, you know, like, like overspending for the university. Um, so there's like a number of things that I did in my first startup. So, you know, I came in, no zero overhead. There was really no upfront costs. I love being in, you know, comp sign tech because the overhead cost is like infinite, almost zero, you know? <laughs> so uh, I made a couple thousand dollars doing that as a, a sophomore senior in high school. Um, and then my second company that I started, um, it was called uh, Digi Technologies. And what we were building is we were building an application where we wanted to really uh, automate the process for group travel. So, you know, when you're traveling with a group, you have apps like Uber and Airbnb and um, Expedia, where you have to like separately book all your travel information and pay separately. But what we wanted to do was to really be the middleman between all of those applications. Whereas in, you know, you still book on the interfaces of those applications. We're not cutting them out. We're not being their competitors. We're simply facilitating an easier, easier user experience on the user side. So you would go to our app called Bucket. Your um, your friend group could all put in their money, put their money into the bucket, you know, something called Bucket. And then you could automate the payouts. You could vote on what services to use, uh, which would be anonymous. anonymous. So, you know, it's not hurting anyone, anyone's feelings because your friends, you don't want to your friend is going to stay at the same hotel. You may have the private preference. Um, so that was the application we were working on. Um, that ended up not being successful. But out of that, I learned so much. And, you know, each each one of these entrepreneur, entrepreneurial experiences, I've been learning a lot. And from there, I went to HBCUBC. So, yeah. Wow. So all of those projects sound amazing. Um, so, like, long term, what are your goals as an entrepreneur? And do you have any idea of what type of company you plan to start? Yeah, so um, it, it's uh, I <laughs> I really believe in like failing fast and failing forward. Um, yeah. But in terms of the long term goals, um, you know, I realized you know through my life and through like some of the things that I've been through, my my family experiences, I, I've seen like a lot of bad things happen in my community. My community will really be forgotten when it comes to like innovation, when it comes to technology. You know, uh, the places where I come from are usually the last places to adopt or integrate that technology into their lives. So what I really want to do is to found companies and to create communities that will like leverage technology to improve and impact people's lives. Um, right now, I don't know what form that will manifest itself in, um, but I believe in leading, leading, moving forward and leading forward with my vision and with my dream and you know, building an organization and building a company around that. Um, the technology, like what the specific technology is, it's like kind of a second afterthought, which is crazy for me as a as a tech guy to be like the technology second. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So to answer long 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 winded answer to answer the question. <laughs> so um, I see that you have experience working with Google and Eli Lilly. 
How do you think those roles that you held at those companies will help you as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so with Google specifically, um, I didn't do like their traditional internship program. Um, but for about nine months, I've been working with their program here in Durham associated with NCCU. And it's a community leaders program. Um, so what we've really been doing is like engaging small to medium sized businesses with Google tools and helping them use Google products and kind of like bridge that digital divide in our community. So it's more like a community representative uh, position less than like actually working at Google, I wish, but no. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then with um, working with Eli Lilly specifically, that was amazing because I was able to build a application that basically tracks security for their whole organization across the world. Like Lilly has plants in just about every continent. Um, and I was able to build a security you know, application that tracked all of that. And it gave me a lot of high visibility in the company. And it taught me a lot about how Fortune 500 companies work and move, um, especially as being an entrepreneur. Um, sometimes Fortune 500 companies are a little slower to get to the things that, you know, we can move a little bit more agile um, towards. So having that perspective as an entrepreneur, I think will empower me going forward and being able to understand that. And then working with Google and being, you know, interlaced with my community, uh, from that perspective, it really brings the problem solving. Um, because at the end of the day, whatever you're creating as an entrepreneur or whatever you're creating as a programmer needs to solve a problem. Um, it's just not technology for technology's sake. So, yeah. You're currently an HBCU VC fellow, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And I saw that you are currently working on a project, Ignite NC. Yes. Can you tell us more about this project and the purpose behind it? Yeah, so Ignite NC, um, it was an idea. I'm trying to think back to it. So this, I, I usually compete in this program called um, HBCU Battle of the Brain. Um, and it happens during South by Southwest. And um, it's like a week long program. We go to, we get free tickets to all the South by Southwest events and it's a gigantic 24 hour hackathon. The top price is like $50,000. Um, so last year I competed in that. And this year I was leading a team to go there. Um, and I had like built a program for them over the winter break to prepare them. But I realized that that wasn't enough and we needed more. So it was like a month away from our competition. And I was talking to one of my advisors and mentors. And I was like, we should do a hackathon here at NCCU. And she was like, let's do it, but you got to plan it. And I said, okay, I'll plan it. <laughs> literally, that's how the conversation started. <laughs> and from there, I literally started sending out LinkedIn messages that night, reaching to my network. Um, and I ended up raising $3,000 in 28 days around the wow. Um, it was a crunch. I didn't think it could happen. <laughs> and like, usually people get afraid when asking people for money. We were like, what? You want money from me? For what? <laughs> so we ended up raising three grand for that. Um, we hosted an event here on campus. We brought together 30 students. Um, and they actually ended up creating a solution for this com local company called Spoke Up, which is actually all minority founded. And its alumni actually come from A&T and other HBCUs as well. Well, its founders come from HBCU, HBCUs like a and and other schools um and those students were able to create applications for that and we gave out like what was it two grand two grand in prizes just about so in terms of our budget <laughs> most of it was prizes <laughs> most of it was the prize money and then the rest of it was like you know, all the logistics all the food and things such as that um but going back to ignite and see our goal really was to show that communities like mine communities like Durham, um could also be centers of innovation and creation. Um, I, I talked earlier about, you know, growing up as an African-American and having the idea of what entrepreneurship was. 
but never really having the dialogue to explain, you know, what it really was, you know? So I wanted to, to bring an event to my community that could personify and display the amazing potential and creation um, and the ability for innovation. Uh, so that, that was the whole belief and that was the hypothesis. And, you know, I was, I was stunned by the amount of support, the amount of people that came out and said, hey, you know, you're a 19 year old kid who's a senior in college. I don't know how that happened, but we're willing to support you. Um, I, have a, I have a funny quote, actually, one of my mentors now, but David Morris, who runs a legal practice here in Durham, um, he ended up being the title sponsor. So he donated like a, a thousand some dollars to the event. Um, and we were talking and he was like, yeah, this is great. I love your proposal. I love your slides. It was like, so what's your experience with organizing hackathons? Um, and I said, <laughs> uh, this is my first hackathon I've ever organized <laughs> before. And he was like, okay, uh, I'm going to make this investment, but this is an investment in you. <laughs> yeah. He literally told me that. Um, but like ever since then, I've been, you know, even more extremely inspired to, to really be that person that can lead. Um, like also, you know, bringing my technical skill, bringing my ability to code. But I've just understood more and more these days that that technical ability is great, but you also need to have the ability to lead people and to personify the why behind the technology. So, you know, from that conversation, you know, I continuously try to go forward and to, to pour into people as much as people have poured into me and to try to continuously be that person where people are willing to invest their time and energy into. Um, so, yeah. Wow, it's great to hear. Yeah hear about the things that you're doing in North Carolina to help expose students to entrepreneurship and technology. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations on the hackathon. Yeah, I, I was I was super excited. Um, we actually will be hosting it um, every spring now. So oh, cool. I'll be playing another one for next spring. And I graduate next spring, so it'll be like my send off. Um, so we're playing another one for next spring. And we're also looking to bring tech stars to uh, North Carolina as well. Um, so I'm super excited for that. It may be here or maybe at Johnson C. Smith or AMT, we don't know yet. Um, but just really, you know, it's a larger platform, it's a larger megaphone and bringing more innovation to our institutions and, and showing people the amazing talent that we have at HBCU, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like you're, you are a social entrepreneur. Is it like your goal with entrepreneurship and Ignite NC to create generational wealth for you and your communities? Um, absolutely. Um, absolutely. The goal is to, um, I'm, I'm very like politically entrenched. I, I love politics. I love, you know, being an active citizen in my community. I volunteer a lot. So, you know, yes, and the goal is to, to leverage capital. Um, you know, I don't believe that capitalism is bad or anything. You know, there's a lot of dogma behind that. But I definitely think that, like you're saying, social entrepreneurship, the capital can be leveraged in a way with morality. And my goal really is to, with the companies that I'm founding, with the institutions that I'm working for, with the organizations that I'm joining, um, to lead with my morals and lead with my character first um, and allow that to to build wealth, whether that's you know intellectual wealth, whether that's actual physical wealth for you know people who've helped me, my mentors, my mentees that I'm, mentor that I'm mentoring all the time as well. And to, and to build a pipeline um, and to, you know, bring the whole community, not just me. I mean, you know, I just don't want to be the only person, you know, <laughs> I just don't want me and behavior to be the only person that yeah. have these conversations. Um, I, I want it to, to, to be a time and a place where, you know, our society is better because we have individuals, um, you know, like you yourself that are out here 
advocating for people who look like you and for people who don't look like you um, to have a better life and to have access to the things that you've got access to. Yeah. So um, we've talked about generational wealth and you also mentioned earlier that when it came to college, you couldn't really afford, you know, the application fees and stuff like that. So so I'm curious to know, like, what are your thoughts on the saying that poverty is a mindset? Do you agree or disagree? Um, I'd say that I'd say I agree on one half and on one half I disagree. Um, I definitely think that there is when you're talking about, you know, socioeconomic status, that there's a psychological effect that it has on you. Um, I know for me, you know, just to give an example from my personal life, um, when I was, you know, I mentioned I couldn't apply for like, because of the application fee, but even here at Central, I started to pay my housing fee. It was like $100 to move in. And I remember vividly um, crunching pennies and taking them to the, you know, the penny machine that they have in Walmart. I forget the name of it. To count, to count them? Yes, and to turn them into actual like dollars. So I remember like literally counting pennies. I've been saving up any spare change that I had just to pay for my my housing fees and move into college. So for me, on one level, I, I definitely think that there is a psychological element that comes along with that. Um, but I don't think it's something that can't be beaten. I just think it's something that takes a little bit more work in it. You have to know that there are barriers for you to overcome the barriers. So I think that's that's where the the, the, the psychological effect of social sexual economics comes into play. Um, so I definitely think that yeah, if you know you you've grown up in circumstances that are subpar and you you haven't seen what the world has to offer, then you don't know how far you you want to grasp and, and, and to reach. But I I just say that I was fortunate to have mentors and I was fortunate to have parents that said, hey, read this book, and then you know from on from there on I always ask questions and I read more books and. I wasn't, even though my physical circumstances may have been limiting, this is why I love the internet, I love tech. It's because, you know, I was in, I was limited, I couldn't go anywhere, but I had friends from Canada, I had friends from Australia, I had friends from China, we played video games together. You know, I, I, I learned quantum physics in my room by myself, self, self-teaching. Um, like, I'm a full-stack web developer and I taught that to myself when I was in high school. Um, so like, yes, there is a limiting factor, but technology has a, this extreme capacity to democratize and to decentralize information, which is, you know, which is a form of power. Um, it's just, it just takes people to then, you know, go to the well and know where the information is and then take it and use it. Because it's a tool that can be used positively or can be used negatively as we see in our world. So it's, it's about perspective, it's about philosophy. Um, yeah, so I, I, it's a, it's a, I think it's a multi-factored uh, yeah. approach but I would say that that is one of the one of, that one of the large large factors that is, that associate you know social economic status yeah I definitely agree with you I believe that it's like 60% circumstance uh-huh. and maybe 40% mindset because most people are born into poverty and without without the right tools it can be difficult right. to escape but at the same time it can't be 100% circumstance right. or 100% mindset right. it's like a combination of both yep yeah so um are there any like emerging technologies that you plan to take advantage of when it comes to entrepreneurship or building your ignite nc ecosystem yeah so um i've been trying to teach myself blockchain (laughs) oh yeah so uh, i've been trying to learn blockchain um it's something that i've been pretty interested about in terms of its ability to like you know also about decentralization and democratization and you know blockchain is right front and center when it comes to technologies like that um so i've been trying to learn that Specifically, 
Um, I'm also pretty uh, keeping up to date with like new science news. So just recently, you know, I was reading some, uh, watching some video, video articles on like superfluid and um, like quantum computing and things like that. I definitely think within you know the next ten years that quantum computing really, if the technology can get right, you know, if silicon can process the quantum bits, which it probably can't, so it probably have to be another material to do that. Um, that quantum computing really will become center place in our lives. So understanding that, and I'm trying to build companies that will move towards that direction. You know, not moving literally in what we know exists now, but moving exponentially towards what we know will be, in, what we possibly know will be, will be, will be in the future, <laughs> and pivot along the way. So yeah. <laughs> so what do you think makes you unique as an entrepreneur? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, um, I'd say that the why um for me ever since i was a kid i literally rem- i vividly remember my mom telling me to stop asking so many questions you know she wasn't doing it in a mean way i just been asking like 500 questions that day um yeah. like you know hey mom why did why does the moon you know set and rise and she's like well i don't know i never asked myself that question why does the moon set and rise you know and eventually she wasn't able to answer those questions so i had to like go out and find it on my own um but i that's something that i carry into my life today is I don't believe in simply doing tasks to do tasks. Uh, there has to be a larger meaning associated to why I'm doing something. Um, and then that goes into my entrepreneurship, that goes into my leadership. When I'm when I'm attempting to lead and inspire others, I focus intensely on communicating the why. Um, cause, because I believe that, that I, you know, it's my belief that it appeals to higher, people's higher uh, thought and higher ambition. But I think that companies and organizations that are built on solid principles and beliefs do better um so that's that's something that i think makes me unique secondly i would say is relationship building um i intensely love people (laughs) and this is something that's developed over time like before i could not like i love people but i couldn't talk to people so it was like you know it was like a miss a mismatch like why are you so awkward like i don't know like leave me alone um but relationship building um i i want to continuously go forward with the belief that if i die today you know what will some stranger tell a loved one of mine that they, that experience that they had with me yeah. um so I, I i try to do things purposefully um even in my companies you know if someone if there's something someone can't do um the relationship is more important than anything you know so i don't i don't like to treat people as uh, mean, you know, or you know, I like to shoot them ends in themselves. Uh, wow, that was deep. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um. So, what types of challenges do you think you'll face as an entrepreneur, being that you are a minority, and how do you plan to overcome those challenges? Yeah. So, um, I think that one of the biggest challenges that I had faced and I will continue to face, um, at least in the in the short run. Is the financial aspect of things um just because that right now the way that my trajectory is looking and i'm trying to find out other ways to move but i will have to be like a corporate manure so i have to work in corporate and try to do entrepreneurship on the side um just because i still need to be able to support myself <laughs> yeah. as it comes so that's one of the challenges um another challenge that i i, I never really thought it existed and then i experienced it um it's really the outsider um i think i'm probably using the long term with it oh uh, imposter syndrome it's proper term um 
that at times, like, you know, even with H HBCU DC, you know, we, we went to Silicon Valley, we met these amazing folks, but literally you could go down the list and it was Harvard, it was MIT, it was Stanford. And I'm like, I go to North Carolina Central University now, and I love my institution. I have so much pride in my institution, but it's just like, you have to believe that you belong. Like, and it's, it's like there are mechanisms that exist that will constantly try to reinforce to you that you don't belong. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's like constantly fighting that psychological hurdle and, you know, conveying to yourself and conveying, conveying to people that you want to lead that you have the ability to create the next Facebook, the next Apple, the, the next, et cetera. That it wasn't a miracle that they, you know, it, they're just as human as you, you know? It's just about hard work, dedication, luck, and opportunity, you know? Yeah. Um, so just re-entrenching that for myself and trying to lead with that as well. Um, so I think those two things will be issues um, going forward. The last question, I know it's a little off topic and I know you mentioned earlier a quote from your mentor, but what is your favorite quote and why? Oh, this is good. Um, so my favorite quote is actually in my email, uh, in my email, uh, like little footer. It's, there are no strangers here, only friends you haven't met yet by William uh, Butler Eats. Um, and I, I love that quote just because it's something that I, I live with and it's, it's part of my personality. Where, you know, if I, if I met you just yesterday, Dehavia, I would be just as friendly and open to you as if I'd known you for like, you know, 30 years. Um, yeah. And it's just because I, you know, I mentioned earlier that relationship building piece. I love people. Um, and I think if you lead with that positivity and lead with that optimism, people will reciprocate that, or, or, you know, give that back to you. Um, so that's that's a quote i love <laughs> and i definitely like lead with it every single day i love meeting new people you know i was in where was it i last winter break i uh went to dubai and i stayed with my aunt she was teaching there um and literally you know i was watching walking through the streets of dubai and just meeting people like you know we could hardly speak each other's languages but there's just something about you know being human and existing in this world that that goes beyond culture goes beyond nationality goes beyond you know all of the superficial things that that we convince ourselves that we're different because of. Um, there's something innately that is innately good, you know, about existing, you know, with another person and having a conversation about things that may seem simple and mundane, but it's really a point to build a connection, it's a point to build a relationship. Um, so yeah. Wow, that's a pretty cool quote. Thank you so much, um, Lyndon, for being a part of my podcast. Yes. And, I hope, <laughs> and I hope your story um, help someone else. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. All right. If you made it this far without skipping, thank you. I appreciate your support. And this will conclude this episode.